We have another great episode for you today. We're going to talk to you about how to communicate your brand to patients, review Contact Lens Spectrum, the July issue, and I'll tell you why you should never have your day one visit on a Saturday for an orthokeratology fit. This is the Ultimate OD Podcast. Welcome to Optometry, the Ultimate OD Podcast, building better doctors one episode at a time. Here's your host, optometrist and practice owner, Dr. Nick Lilly. It must be Friday night because I'm talking optometry and this is the Ultimate OD Podcast. As you know, I'm Dr. Nick Lilly. Let's get into this, okay? I want to talk about your brand. What is your brand? What does your office stand for? Why do people come to see you? As a dry eye, optical is just amazing. You're good with kids. What is your brand? And when patients walk in, do they see that? Do they know that the moment they walk in, what you do? All right. That's something that I'm really working hard to refine. It's taken nine years to kind of figure out what I want to do. All right. What do they say? The riches are in the niches, right? You got to know what your brand is, who your patients are, and what you're trying to do. So I'm going to break this out in a couple different ways. The first one is from the patient perspective, what they see when they walk in the door. And then next week, we're going to get into, is your staff communicating your brand? And how do you get your staff to communicate your brand? Two very difficult things, but let's start from step one. So the visual journey. When a patient comes into your office, what do they see? Literally, I stood in my entryway about 10, 15 minutes a day and just stood around and looked right to left, took it all in and took it in from a patient perspective. What do they see? What does your environment convey? Is it welcoming or is it kind of partitioned off? Take away COVID right now. I get that we have to do the things we have to do, but go a year, two, three years down the road when this is all a distant memory. What do the patients see when they walk in? Is it welcoming? Like I said, open like a retail setting, okay? When I walk into Kohl's, when I walk into Penny's, I walk into Art Van, you know, there's a sense of, hey, look at all this. I know exactly where I need to go to get to where I want. Or is it kind of, I have no idea what I'm doing. I'm walking through a maze. Or there's a gate that I can't get through to even see the frames unless the gatekeepers let me in. I don't want that type of environment. Do you want that type of environment? Is there a flow to your office? Think about how you can arrange things, where you put your front desk, how you put your optical, like where do you put things? Does it make sense where, of course, I'm going to go here, I'm going to see the doctor, which is usually the middle aspect, and then where do I end up? I have a circular flow, which I think is awesome. So they come in, it's very obvious. Most people go to the right anyways. If you look at any jewelry store, all the good stuff's on the right because that's where people naturally veer. Do you have that in mind when you have your entrance? Like, What is on the right side of your entryway? Because that's where people are going. That's what they're going to see. Put high-end things there. Maybe put something that can market your myopia management practice or your dry eye clinic. Because they're going to see that right away when they come in. Right? Subtly plant the seed of what you want to do. Anyways, come in. They see the doctor. And then they come out into the optical. Gives a sense of completion. And where do you end? The optical. My waiting room is facing the optical. Again, I'm not only a retail person where I'm just doing glass and contacts, but it's a huge part of my business. So I want to make sure that I am promoting that. I think it's open. It's welcoming. It's well lit. Lighting plays a big role in what we do. 
the exam rooms, I get it. They have to be certain lighting to do certain testing. But in your optical, in your front desk, do you have natural light coming in? If not, can you get natural light coming in? Do you have great lighting on your frames, on your merchandise? Or is it dingy, old, damp inside? Like, come on. Have some energy. Think about what patients want when they're shopping. Okay? I think too often that we get caught up in the medical side of what we do, and we don't realize that probably 70 to 80% of our revenue is retail. Do you have a retail mindset? Okay. Make sure that you are memorable in what you do. They talk about having a statement piece. When you walk into my office, the first thing you see is a eight foot tall by probably 12, 15 feet wide Fiesta orange wall. Literally Fiesta orange. All it says, name of my office on there, but that's memorable. When they walk in, they're going to know they're in the office, right? People, if you go to a dermatology office, if you go to a plastic surgeon's office, they have waterfalls in their waiting room. They give you bottled water, all kinds of service. There's treats all over the place, right? Again, get COVID out of your mind. What kind of environment are you creating? Is it relaxing? Is this like a spa type in setting? Make it welcoming to the patient. You'll be better off. Lighting's huge. And the last thing I want to point out is, are you marketing what you do? Okay. Vendors give you all kinds of stuff. There's tons of POP. Do you have a purpose to what you're putting in there? Does it guide you to where the high-end frames are? Or you got something cool, it was free, and I'm going to put it in my office. Make sure that you're marketing to what you do. Okay, Like I said, what's your brand? What's your niche? Do they know that you're a dry eye specialist? Are you promoting that throughout the entire experience? When they walk in, are you putting, are your eyes dry? Have you asked about... Zydra today? Have you asked about Restasis? Have you asked about Lipiflow? Market what you do because if you don't put it in their head, who's going to do that? Nobody, right? So make sure that everything works together, that you are building your brand from the moment they walk into the door. So take a step back, go to your office, no one there, stand in the doorway. What do you see and what do you want them to see? Be a better office. All right, optometry in the news, my friends. This is where I do the work. You get the benefits. Essentially, I'm going to tell you what I found that I think will help me in practice. Hopefully, it helps you as well. First article was by Dr. William Townsend. He's talking about turmeric and inflammation. So essentially, he went to his primary care physician. He has arthritis. He was prescribed turmeric. His thought was, this might be something that could be very good as a topical agent, this got me thinking, what am I doing to fight inflammation? Ever since I was on optometry school, I think the two things that we can do to help with our longevity is increase flexibility. I can really help that in my office or decrease inflammation. That's something that we can have a very big impact on. So what do we have at our disposal? Steroids, not going to do those long term, but I do prescribe them quite often. I don't really do orals. Zydra and Restasis, if you listen to any of the other podcasts, I'm not a big fan of Restasis. It takes a little time to work. People want more of a result in my experience, but last in last ditch effort, I guess that's an option. Zydra had a little bit of success with this. The patients do see results a little quicker, so I'm probably more of a Zydra person than a Restasis person. Cost is the big determining factor, and then the fact that patients are on them forever really is not my mode of practice. Patients don't like that. I like to keep patients happy, 
generally I'll refer that out if they're really having a lot of trouble. Truthfully, they usually come back to me and say, I tried it, it's not working, what can we do? That's where I think this article spurred some thought for me. All right, so let's talk things we can do that are not drops that might help with their dryness. I think I need to get more information to my patients about omega-3s. All right, there's esterified and non-esterified. Don't quote me on which one is which. I know you get the pill. I tell them, take your pill that you're taking, put it in the freezer, let it sit for about 5-10 minutes, take it out. If it's white, it's not doing anything for you. You can't absorb it. Not a good pill. If you take it out, it's clear, you're getting benefit. I think about 2,000 milligrams per day is what I recommend. Again, I just need to find an omega-3 that I believe in that they can get. I'd like to find something that's not incredibly expensive. My wife has horrible meibomian gland dysfunction. I've been trying to find a omega-3 that she can take as a supplement. I'm trying not to kill my bank, and it's incredibly expensive. She's not that bad. We can do warm compresses. That's what Brutomaster are for, right? Anyways, find something where I just can go to Costco or something like that. So I just need to do some um, Pepsi challenges, find one that works. If I find one, I'll kind of pass that your way. The other thing that we can do is flaxseed. Again, I don't know too much about that. Is there different kinds of flaxseed that's better or worse? But I know incorporating it into your diet is useful. I just don't know how much. I want to do more research and find that out. But I think flaxseed omega-3s, I need to hit real real hard. Now, the Mediterranean diet, this is outside of our wheelhouse, but it's been shown to reduce inflammation. They eat a lot of fish, a lot of oils, not a lot of butters. All right. Are you having that conversation with your patients? I'm personally not right now, but I'm toying with at least ways to come up with these are the foods you should be eating. These are the foods that you shouldn't. Just try to help them have less inflammation. It's not only going to help their eyes, it's going to help their overall bodies. We need to treat the whole person. All right, next thing was orthokeratology. I think this was very good for me to read because I'm high into orthokeratology right now. And you know what I'm not doing? Looking at the slit lamp exam as close as I should. Dr. Despotesis put out five reasons why orthokeratology patients are having dry eye. And truthfully, I wasn't really considering these. I'll list them and then I'll kind of go over where this falls into my uh, my practice. Epiblepharon, MGD, incomplete blinking, lens fit issues, and chemical toxicity. Chemical toxicity is something I cover because I give all my patients all the solutions they're going to need. They're using what I prescribe so they're not getting generics. I have a little more control in that way. And if there is an issue, I know what they're using. So we know where to go from there. Okay. Clearcare is a the best way to go if they're having a chemical toxicity because it's going to be sterile saline by the time they put it in their eye. So if you're having trouble with that, make sure one, you take control of the solutions they're using and two, go to clear care if needed. Now, lens fit issues, that's probably where I'm putting a lot of my effort, energy, because I'm looking at topographies all the time. I'm staining the cornea, looking for dryness in that sense. I have not been considering incomplete blinking or MGD. Again, I need to really look at that in my slit lamp exam because I'm looking at their prescription. I'm looking at their topo topographies, but I'm not considering their lids and lashes. I think we need to be more or I need to be more uh, aggressive in getting that treated before we go into treatment. I haven't had many dryness issues, but again, let's stop the problem before it happens. Epiblepharon, this is the extra skin fold that you see on more of your 
patients of Asian descent. I don't have a lot of those patients at this point. I will be aware of that if I do, but the first uh, four that I kind of talked about are the things that I'm addressing in my office. Now, the other thing that I read in this issue was Dr. Gifford, the Australian that loves myopia management, she's one of the big dogs in the industry, right? She was talking about how systemic medications and allergies can affect your myopia management treatment. Now, orthokeratology, not affected as much because you're wearing them at nighttime, but soft contact lenses can be an issue, all right? She believes that making sure that you treat myopia management and deal with the systemic med issues or the allergies and not stop myopia management. Her belief is the risks of the allergies and dryness do not outweigh the benefits of myopia management. So she's very committed to it. I think that we need to look at the whole picture. I do believe that myopia management is important, but again, I have to see what kind of issues my patients are having. I just haven't had enough experience to make that decision yet, but given what she's saying, given the benefits of what I know, I think I'll kind of fall in line with her. I just, I haven't been there yet. Those were the three articles that I thought talked to me, talked to my office. I hope they gave you some tips that you can use to benefit your, uh, your practice. Remember, if you want this in written form, I do write a blog about this. It's at theultimateod.com. We have our podcast notes. We'll link to the issue. Let me know if you have any questions. We're getting better together every day. Time for my favorite part of the show. We're going to talk myopia management. Now, when I was reading optometry in the news, when I'm looking for articles that are not myopia management related, I'm struggling. I'll tell you that right now. I'm looking really hard to find things, but they don't really interest me. I could read and read and read about myopia management. I was thinking when I was walking with my kids today that, you know what, if I really look into this, I might be able to be one of these people, this Kate Giffords or the Paul Giffords. There's a couple other names, Mark Bullmore, where I'm making my mark because I'm actually in the lane treating patients. And I can be a cutting edge person in this. That excites me. Whether I am or not, I'm doing it. And I want to share that journey with you. All right. So we had a lot go on this week. I'm going to start from the beginning. So I have a patient that started orthokeratology. So not myopia management, but again, one in the same with what I'm doing when I'm looking at the uh, process that we're going through. All right. So day one fit. She comes in, wore the lenses in, took a look. Right eye looked great, great fit, great pattern. Left eye, what in the world am I looking at? You look at my Twitter feed, I have a picture up, dimple veiling. Have you guys ever seen this? I've never seen it in my life. I kind of knew about it, but I had no idea what to do. If this was good, should you keep pouring the lens? Essentially, dimple veiling is where an air bubble gets kind of broken up and it's just a bunch of little small air bubbles all over the eye. Usually it's in the periphery, so it's not an issue. It goes away after one to two hours of removing the lens. This is primarily something that happens with GP lenses, hard contacts. So you don't see it very often because not many people are in this category anymore. Well, lucky me, all the dimple veiling was central cornea and it stained like crazy. When I took the topographies, I got crazy rings. I was a little worried. I'm like, you know what, we're going to hold off and not wear those 
uh, for the rest of the weekend. Of course, I did this on a Saturday morning where I can't consult my lab, can't get any feedback. Sent her home. Thankfully, I know the patient really well and did a ton of research. About three hours later, I kind of text her, hey, how are the eyes feeling? She's like, everything's clear. Again, at this point, I knew it cleared up in about two to three hours. She confirmed that. And then I said, you know what? I want you to wear that again. I'll see you on Sunday. We did the same thing. So day two, we take a look and cornea looked great. No standing. I think when I talked to the patient, she wore them the first night a ton while she was awake. And then obviously driving in the next morning, I think that caused a lot of the issue. When she was sleeping and they settled in, I don't think it was a big as much of an issue as it was that day one when I saw her. So that being said, day one, visual acuities. She started off at minus 525. Couldn't see the biggie, the 2400. She was at 2040 right eye, 2080 left eye. Refracted to a minus 175 right, minus 250 left. At that point, I'm pretty pumped up. Things are going well. Looked at day two. She took the lenses out at 6 a.m. I saw her at about noon. So again, she's a minus 525. I expected a little bit of regression, and I got it. Right eye was minus 375. Left eye was minus 350. At this point, I'm just giving her soft contacts to wear throughout the day, and I'm seeing her every day. She works at the office, so it's easy. She comes in a little before we start work, and we kind of give her soft contacts and go. So day three, did the same thing. She came in at 830, refracted to 175 OU, topographies I took, and then sent all my information to my lab. Art Optical, shout out to them. They are amazing. If you do not know what you're doing or you have questions, you want some guidance, they will take the time to walk you through whatever you need to know. I'm going to kind of give you some information that I didn't know that helped me out from them. So first, when you look at the topographies, you want to do the compare the first visit to the current visit that you're at. When you do the compare, you want to display the tangential power. The big thing about that is when you're looking at the scale, it's usually a 10 diopter step. So it's making big jumps. When you're looking at orthokeratology, you're looking at the central cornea and small steps. So make the max amount of your scale three diopters and you'll start seeing all the things you read about in the textbooks you see in the magazines. It was amazing. So I saw what they what I should see. It looked good. All right. When you looked at the fit, the central cornea was getting its treatment. The reverse curve had a good seal around the edges. So again, one, I get treatment. Two, I'm getting a good seal. The thing that I noticed after that is when you look outside that reverse curve, you look at how it's aligning. I was getting a little bit of a frowny face. So let's review. You see a frowny face, it's riding a little low. We need to get it to center a little higher. So again, don't just go by what you're seeing in the slit lamp because remember gravity is playing a role. When they're laying down, how is that lens centering? You know this by looking at the topographies. So when I looked at it, frowny face, what we did at that point was we decreased the alignment zone by one degree. That had a dual benefit because it lowers the sag so we get more treatment zone. That will probably help with the dimple veiling if it even happened again, uh, which it didn't since I've seen her, and increase the treatment zone placement so it's in the central pupil. So riding low, decrease the alignment zone, gives you more treatment zone, decrease the sag, stop with having the dimple veiling. That is the 
kind of the information I got from Art Optical. It's a lot. It's technical. I can write this down. Again, check out our blog. I'll put it in there. But that was really cool for me to see. I'm getting treatment. This is how you adapt and adjust. This is the art of what I want to learn. I think this is what is fun about myopia management or orthokeratology. It's not as simple. Here's a soft contact. You can't see. I just over a fat. Okay, you have to have some kind of skill to read a topography and know what adjustments to make. So there's that level. We did a one week fit and we made the adjustments from what we saw her first day after the refit. The right eye, remember, she was a minus 525. We went to a minus a quarter. She could read 2015. It was a little blurry, she said, but she's reading 2015. How amazing is that? You went from 525 to a minus a quarter. Proof of concept, I will talk about her often. And she, like we were talking about in our first uh, segment here, is going to be marketing what we do to every patient that we see. So that's the best thing you can do is have someone that has experienced it that can give their testimony to your patients. Left eye, we're still trying to get that one to uh, get figured out. It was the one that was lower than the right so treatment zone looked a little better in my topographies we're still refracting with minus two i'm gonna have her wear them throughout the weekend hopefully monday we're getting a little more results if we don't i'll give you feedback of what changes we made and we'll kind of go from there all right so the cherry on top of my myopia management week was i had a consult with a set of parents and i thought it went really well this was my first actual myopia management consult versus an orthokeratology consult for an adult. So a little bit different in how I was explaining things. From a myopia management aspect, I wanted to make sure I connected with the parents, that I explained the risks and benefits of therapy, and really went into a 5,000 foot perspective of what myopia management is. Not talking about specifically orthokeratology, but atrophy and soft contacts and orthokeratology. I want to touch it all. The cool thing about that was I was specifically consulting with one patient in mind. Little did I realize that two other children are possibly candidates. So by going very broad, I hit a couple of different things that were more applicable to their other children. So I say always be broad because you never know what information they're going to sit on and they're going to find beneficial. They may have experience with orthokeratology, soft contacts, or even the drops from different circumstances. So the more information you give, the better off you're going to be because you're going to be more, how shall we say, professional, more educated in what you're doing. So don't just go one route. Now, that being said, make sure you have an idea in mind what you want the patient to do. All right. You're the doctor. You're the professional. You're the expert. This is the treatment I think we need to start with. And I, and I even said it wrong right there. This is the treatment that we should start with for X, Y, and Z reasons. Again, you can do whatever you want. It's not hard and fast, but at least have a idea of what you want the patient to do. The patients and parents will appreciate that. Now, the cool thing about doing this with people that are non-doctors, no experience with what you're preparing, is they'll ask questions that you don't expect. The two I think we should always be prepared for now, because I didn't really prepare for them be initially, was is one method better than the others? I kind of knew that. And then two, what does the data say when therapy is done? When you stop myopia management, do they start progressing more or are they stable? 
what does that say? So number one, is one method better than the other? Not really. It really depends on compliance. If you look at the literature out there, 30 to 60% depending on what you're doing in reduction, okay? But compliance is a huge key. If you're not wearing the retainers, if you're not wearing the soft contacts, if you're not putting in the drops, none of it works. Make sure that you get that point across to them because if they're not compliant or the child's not on board, this isn't going to work. And you don't want to be looking like your therapy is the reason when compliance was the cause. Okay, so put that out there from the beginning. Now, I wasn't prepared for what happens when therapy concludes. I have the information now. I'll pass this along to you. So if you don't know, then you'll know. Atropine. High dose atropine, when you stop using that, you will start progressing, okay? Low-dose atropine, so the 0.01%, they saw less progression when therapy was stopped, but they also saw less axial length reduction. So take that for what it's worth, but generally when you stop using atropine, you're going to get a little progression. Now, I saw an article that said with orthokeratology under 14 years old, the next seven months, you will see some progression. But it's more in line with normal 0.2 millimeters per year. So you kind of get a stop and then they pick up where they left off. So the good news about that is if you do it, you get some reduction. You're then going to see that they progress, but you've already made your mark. You've slowed them down. They're not going to be as high as they were. The soft contact lenses, I looked at the MySight data because that's probably the most in-depth. They're currently doing their seventh year of study to see what happens. So that was inconclusive, at least as far as I could find out. And again, we'll find out more at the end of this year when that data becomes public. So those were the things that I thought we should know from a myopia management consultation perspective. I hope this helps you out. It helped me out. I have the answers now. I hope you do too. Where, oh, where did the time go? It's time for my closing thought of the episode. So the first thing I'm going to ask is, who are you inside the exam room and who are you outside of the exam room? Because I hope they're two different people. By nature, we are doctors. We've learned from textbooks. We think A plus B equals C. We like things to be black and white, cookie cutter. This is what the issue is and this is how we treat it. And that's fine in the exam room. But remember, when you're outside the exam room, you are running a business. I think we lose sight of that, and sometimes we hide behind policy, we hide behind procedure, all right? Every customer is unique. Some of them are better than others, but we need to take care of them. Certain times, there's an exception that has to be made to a rule. We don't do this or we don't do that is a good way to get them to not come to see you anymore. So whether it's remaking a pair of glasses, letting someone get an extra warranty just because, or letting them change frames when our policy is after 30 days, we don't change frames. But guess what? They've bought from you for the past five years. They bought multiple pairs. They had one bad episode. Are you going to end the whole relationship because you don't want to give them an extra pair of glasses? or a different pair of glasses. You have to see the gray. Remember when you are doing things with patients and customers, they are kind of two different sets of people. Patients, you are the doctor, you have all authority. When you're out there in the retail side running your business, the customer's always right. 
Find a way to take care of them. They'll take care of you and you'll be better for it. Make sure that you live in the gray area outside of the exam room. Dr. Lily, out. We want to thank you for listening to today's episode and hope that you found a pearl to apply to your practice. We believe as a community, there is much wisdom to be shared. So if you have questions, suggestions, or requests, we want to know. Feel free to reach out to us via social media and leave a comment or email us at theultimateodpodcast at gmail.com so we can make this podcast even better for you. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review, and we'll catch you again next week.